0: Our sermon text for today is 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. It's on page 996 in the black hardback Bibles in front of you. This is the word of the Lord. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed.
1: Would you pray with me? Father, we pray with the psalmist that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. Would you open our eyes this morning to see the glory of Jesus Christ? And would you use your word to conform us more into his image? We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, for our sermon text this morning, I want to do something a little different than normal. Uh, We read, or Kyle read, an entire paragraph, but uh, I want to focus our attention this morning primarily on the last few verses of our text. And even in those last few verses, uh, I'm going to narrow in on a particular topic in the last few verses, beginning in verse 14 specifically, we get some of the clearest teaching in all of the Bible about scripture itself. Okay, this is this is important truth for us as individuals and for us as a church as we think about the topic of scripture, some of its attributes we won't be able to talk about them all just from one text, but um, I'll pull in text from other places and we won't turn there, but I'll try to give you um, those verse numbers so you can write them down. So we'll be um, primarily in this passage, but also I'll pull in um, other passages. But we're going to focus on these last few verses. And I think it's helpful, though, the reason uh, I had uh, the entire text there, I think it's helpful to to catch this context here to see why Paul says what he says about Scripture. The Apostle Paul is writing to his young pastoral apprentice, Timothy, Trying to prepare him for the days ahead to minister. it's often in the midst of difficulties, which is what Timothy is getting ready to come up against. That we see the true value of God's word. I was reminded of this recently when I read the testimony of a pastor who I don't know and I don't know a whole lot about, but I was just struck by by his testimony of how he had had success as a church planner, as a pastor, in an, uh, in an urban context. Okay, but he had grown up actually in the hills, he said, of West Virginia. He said most of the people he knew, including his own family, were uneducated and unsophisticated, at least in his eyes. He said eventually he had gotten to the point where he actually started looking down on them. Even spiritually speaking. Here he was, his organization was flying him around the country to give stories of his success in ministry and about how to do it, how to plan a church. But he said in the middle of all this, he was struck by a thought. The thought hit him that despite all his alleged success, he was actually standing on the shoulders of spiritual giants. He began to realize this was even in his own family. He said this, my grandfather was one of those country preachers. He provided for his family by working a physically demanding job in a steel mill his whole life. His family was poor, but he did what needed to be done. He had only received a sixth grade education. He didn't know how to read very well. He listened to the King James version of the Bible on audio cassette on his 45 minute commutes to work up and back every day listening to the Bible. He said scripture got under his skin. In fact, this pastor even recounts how his mom told him about how her dad, his grandfather, when he didn't know how to spell a word, sometimes he would look up in the Bible where he knew that word was just so he could spell it. That's how much scripture had gotten into his mind and heart. As this pastor reflected on this legacy that he had been given, he came to the realization that it's this kind of Christian who can meet the, the, the rigors of hard discipleship. This, this pastor's testimony here reminds me of our passage this morning as the Apostle Paul prepares Timothy for the rigors of hard discipleship. Like this pastor's grandfather, Timothy was going to, rene- going to need to rely on God's Word. This this book of Second Timothy is likely Paul's last letter and he's preparing Timothy for a day when he will no longer be around. So we read our passage, you notice some of the things Paul told Timothy to expect. Look at verse 12 there. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Earlier in the chapter, he said false teachers are already in the church and they're upsetting the faith of people. They're deceiving He said people are going from bad to worse. If you back up even to to verse 2 of our chapter, we didn't read it, but listen to the description of the context that Timothy's stepping into here. Paul says in verse 2, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance appearance of godliness but denying its power. That's the context that Timothy is getting ready to step into to minister to. Right, and we might also say that's the world that we live in today. We could look at all those things and see that that's how it is today. Right, things don't seem to be getting better. But in that context, I want you to notice what Paul doesn't do here. He, he doesn't say, Timothy, this is a new world. Things are changing. It's getting more difficult. We've got to come up with a new plan. It's time to get more innovative and creative, Timothy. No, look at verse 14. What he says, he says, the first imperative here, continue, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. In other words, Timothy, don't stray from the path. Yes, you're going to face trials. You're going to face difficulties. You're even going to suffer. That's guaranteed at some level. But this is not a time to change what you know to be true. And Paul knew Timothy's convictions and Timothy knew Paul's. Timothy had followed him around. Look at verse 10 that we started with. Paul says, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness and my persecutions and sufferings. He said, Timothy, you've been with me through it all. You've seen it. You've seen what it means to be faithful to Christ, even in the midst of difficulties. And it wasn't just Paul that Timothy had observed. Look at verse 15 there. He says, from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's a reference there to the scriptures. At that point, it would have been the Old Testament. You've known the sacred writings, Timothy. How did Timothy know that? Well, chapter one, Paul tells us. His grandmother and his mother. Paul even gives us their names. His grandmother, Lois. His mother, Eunice. They had passed on the faith to Timothy. Praise the Lord for godly grandmothers and mothers. Let this be an encouragement to to parents and grandparents and for all who work with our children here at this church. When you teach children the Bible, it matters. When you teach them the, the stories... When they memorize the verses, it matters. You're giving them something better than money or worldly success. You are passing on the faith to the next generation. That's what Timothy had received from his grandmother and mother. They had taught him the scriptures. And Paul says, you remember that, Timothy. You've been taught it from your childhood. It's here in this context that Paul gives us the the clearest teaching Maybe the clearest, the most succinct, at least, in all the Bible about Scripture itself. That's what I want to spend the rest of our time this morning focusing on. I want to draw out several truths based on this passage. And again, I'll I'll pull in some other texts. You don't have to turn to all those. I'll try and give you the references. But again, just by, by way of setting the context here. Paul is preparing Timothy to go out and to minister, to be a pastor in this context. But what he says here is not just for church leaders. Yes, it has some special application there. But by including this in Scripture, God means for all of his people to be instructed by what he says here. Okay, so you you may or may not be someone who has already made uh, New Year's resolutions, maybe uh, maybe a Bible reading plan. That's not required by Scripture. That's a great thing to do. But regardless, my hope is, and I'll say a little more about that later, but my hope is that this, this passage in these truths would make us more intentional as individuals and as a church about spending time in God's word this year and relying on it. Right? Not just, not just saying we have a high view of Scripture, but having a greater sense of our need for God's word. Having greater confidence in its authority and sufficiency for our lives. Okay, so with that in mind, I want to highlight five truths about Scripture this morning. And then at the end, we'll, we'll close with a few brief applications. Number one is the clarity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture. This is not something that Paul addresses directly here, but I think it's implied just by, based on what he says. He says, Timothy, you've known the scriptures from childhood. It doesn't mean that Timothy understood all of the Bible and the deep mysteries of the faith as a toddler. But at some level, Timothy had to be able to understand something of the word as he heard it. That's what Paul appeals to. Timothy, you've known this for a long time. Even before you could understand it all, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, with The scriptures. A reminder of the clarity of scripture. God intends for all of His people to understand His word. Yes, we have to have the Holy Spirit to understand it rightly and to grasp its true significance. But God did not give us His word simply for theologians and pastors or people who study it formally for years and years. He has given His word for all of His people. That's why people like William Tyndale gave their lives to translate God's Word in the language so that people could hear it and understand it for the average Christian. Okay, that doesn't mean, by the way, when we talk about the clarity of Scripture, that it's always easy to understand. Okay, or that there aren't profound mysteries that we have to pray through and ask for help in our understanding. We have to dig in Scripture and compare this Scripture with that Scripture. Okay, the clarity of Scripture doesn't mean on one reading you're going to get it all. In fact, if you tell me that you have no questions, then I'm going to guarantee you you're not reading your Bible enough. Right? You, maybe you need to move off of your favorite few passages. Right? God's Word is full of things that are difficult to understand, and He wants us to dig into His Word. But He's not done this to obscure the main truths from us. He's intended to make it clear. So when we say that it's clear... You don't mean everything in here is, uh, equally easy to understand. It means what we need for salvation and for growth in godliness is clear in His Word. The clarity of Scripture. You may have tons of questions, right? But even a child can grasp John 3.16. I love how one church father put it. He said, Scripture is like a river, broad and deep. Shallow enough here for the lamb to go waiting, but deep enough there for the elephant to swim. Isn't that true? And as we teach God's word to, to our children, right, they're able to grasp little bits of it. And yet we can stay in his word for decades and still have tons of questions, right? We can't ever plumb the depths of it, right? And this shouldn't surprise us. I mean, we're dealing with a God who's infinite in wisdom and we are finite and still, sinful. So don't be discouraged if you have questions. Right? but it doesn't mean that Scripture is not clear. It is clear. Okay, and just a, another word of caution here as we think about the clarity of Scripture. It, it doesn't. Again, it doesn't mean that everything's easy, and it doesn't mean we don't need help from other people. Right, we need help from other Christians, and Christ has even given His church teachers Ephesians four. To build up his church in the word. That's that's why one of the qualifications for a pastor or an elder is that they know the word, because this is how the church is built up. So we can't say, well, it's clear. I don't need anybody else to help me. No, we need not only church leaders, but we need other believers. We don't do anything in the Christian life as isolated individuals, including interpreting scripture. Need other believers to help us to make sure we're on the right path. Right. if you're seeing something, some never before interpretation, if you keep coming up with those that nobody in 2000 years of church history, people who have the same Holy Spirit that you claim to have, if you're the one coming up with new interpretations, guess who's probably wrong? Probably you're not the first person to ever see that in Scripture. OK, maybe I mean, maybe there are there are huge breakthroughs in the history of the church. But even people like a Martin Luther were saying, I'm just saying what the father said earlier. All right. So we interpret it in the community of God's people. But on the whole, scripture is clear. The clarity of scripture. Okay, this doesn't mean I don't need to listen to anybody else. It means no, God intends to speak to me in this word and it is clear about the things I need to know. Okay, so that's the first thing, the clarity of Scripture. Number two, the illuminating power of Scripture. The illuminating power of Scripture. The end of verse 15. Paul says about the Scriptures, he says, they're able to make you wise for salvation. Scripture alone. Is able to do this. This is quite a claim. No other book. No other merely human teaching is able to do this. That doesn't mean that words on a page save us. Right. God is the one who saves us. He opens our heart to believe. Right. But he does this through applying his word by his spirit to us through the scriptures. That's how he's chosen to do it. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the what? The word of Christ, no scriptures, no salvation, or at least the truth of scripture, right? Doesn't mean you have to have a physical Bible in front of you in order to be saved, but you've got to have the truths that come from this in order to be saved. You've got to hear the gospel. Romans one sixteen, a verse maybe you're familiar with for, I am not ashamed. Paul says of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes this is how God has chosen to unleash His saving power through His Word. In these pages here, God exposes our sin, and He exposes our, our need for a Savior, and then He helps us to see that Jesus is the Savior that we need. Okay, this is the illuminating power of God's Word. And it doesn't stop it does say it makes us wise for salvation, but don't don't just think of your conversion. It, the power of God's word doesn't stop once it converts us; it goes on our whole lives. We need God's word. First Peter two two another verse that you might write down there. First Peter two two. Peter says, "Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk." Right? He's talking about God's word and the gospel there. That, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Until the day of Christ's return, we need God's spirit to apply his word to our hearts to make us more and more like Jesus. Right? That's the process of sanctification. And scripture is critical to this. Right? Peter compares it to pure spiritual milk like an infant needs. Here the psalmist, Psalm 119, 130, just to change the metaphor a little He says this, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. That's what God's word does. Scripture is like a lamp that lights our way in a world of sin and darkness. That's the illuminating power of Scripture. That's the, the second thing I want us to see. The third thing about Scripture we see from this passage is the primary focus of Scripture You could call it the center, you could call it the the scope, whatever you want to call it. But the primary focus of Scripture, and that comes again in verse 15, at the end of verse 15. He says, the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in whom? In Christ Jesus. The main subject of Scripture is Jesus Christ. Scripture teaches us all kinds of things about the world relationships, marriage, singleness, work, rest, ministry, parenting, evangelism, discipleship, all these things. But we will miss the point if we don't see that the center of it all in Scripture is Christ. Scripture is God's means of helping us see and believe in and be conformed to Jesus Christ. This is one of the things that Jesus and his earthly ministry rebuked his opponents for. They had a really high view of Scripture. Or at least they, they affirmed it. right? That they claimed to revere the Scriptures. And many of them knew the Scriptures well. But notice what he says, John 5, 39 and 40. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me. You've missed the whole point of the scriptures. You say you have a high view of them, but you've missed what they were about, what they were about all along. Remember, at this point in Jesus' ministry, the scriptures that he's talking about were the Old Testament. He wasn't just saying, hey, guys, it's a new day. The New Testament is about me. He said, it's all about me. Luke 24:44. There's another good verse to write down. Luke 24:44. Jesus told his disciples, "Everything written about me, okay, that's a pretty lofty claim, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled." That's just a way of referring to the whole Old testament. From Genesis to Revelation, scripture tells a grand narrative, and at the center of this is Christ and his salvation. What God is doing through Jesus Christ. Back in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sin and fellowship is broken off with God, God promises Eve that her offspring will crush the head of the serpent. God's going to bring new life from her offspring. And then it's no, uh, it's no coincidence that when we get to Revelation, we find out that Christ is the one who destroys, quote, that ancient serpent through his rule and reign. All of Scripture is one narrative, and it's primarily focused on Christ. All the promises of the Old Testament center in him. The blessing that was to come through Abraham to bless the entire world is Christ himself. He's the prophet, the priest, and the king that Israel was always looking forward to. All the sacrifices were pointing to his once for all sacrifice on the cross that would finally and forever do away with sin. It's through his death and resurrection that the curse of sin is broken and we are brought into right fellowship with him. If you're if you're here and you're not trusting in Jesus right now, the goal My personal goal here in this sermon, and I think the goal of God's word, is not simply to bring you to a position where you say, yeah, I have a high respect for the Bible. I hope you have that. I hope you see that it is authoritative and sufficient for you. But ultimately, the point of it is to bring you in contact with its main subject, who is Jesus Christ himself. The one who has died on the cross to take the penalty for our sins and the one who has been raised from the dead to give us victory over sin and death. That's the only way we can have right fellowship with God. The only way sinners can come into fellowship with a holy God is through Christ himself. And scripture is urging you. It's urging all of us to put our trust in him. He's the primary focus of the scriptures. In these pages, God is putting his son on display so that we will be in awe of him, so that we will trust him, and so that we will submit our lives to his lordship. That's the whole point. And that's why we encourage every member here, you've heard it for years from this pulpit, to regularly read and meditate on God's word. Okay, not simply to check off boxes on a Bible reading plan. That's fine if you want to do that. Right? That's a great way to, to stay consistent in God's Word. But the end goal is not so you can simply check something off. The end goal is to encounter the risen Christ in His Word. Right? You can see why Paul wanted Timothy to be assured of these things. This is how people come to put their faith in Christ and grow as disciples is through these scriptures. Paul wants Timothy to be absolutely convinced of this. Okay, there's so much more to say on this point about the central subject of scripture, but I don't want us just to talk about scripture in the abstract without dealing with its main subject, who is Christ himself. Simply saying you believe the Bible is not enough. You can sit and listen to sermons like this for decades. But if your trust is not in Jesus Christ, if you're not growing to love him more through his word, then you're missing the whole point of these scriptures. So that's that's the third thing I want us to see about scripture is their central subject, who is Jesus Christ, again, as a church church. We hold here to a high view of Scripture, but we need to pray that the Lord would never let us miss the primary aim of these Scriptures that we say we believe. Christ Himself. That's number three. Number four, the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture. And really, this, this grounds everything else we've seen already. The authority of Scripture. The first part of verse 16 in this phrase may be the most succinct Testimony in all of Scripture to its authority. Paul says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God. The reason Scripture is able to give us the wisdom we need unto salvation is because it is breathed out by God himself. Some of you may have a translation there that says that Scripture is inspired by God. Right, Same idea there, but we need to make sure when we hear those words inspired that we know how scripture is using it, because this is not the way we typically think about it. This is not like getting inspired to get in shape for a new year. It's not like seeing a beautiful sunset and getting inspired to write a poem or to paint something. That's not the kind of inspiration this is talking about. It's not even talking about the feelings and motivations of the biblical authors Right. It's talking about the fact that God worked in and through these authors to communicate the very words he wanted to create. That's how he inspired him by his own spirit. Right. It doesn't mean, though, that the human authors somehow like turned into robots and God didn't use their personalities and even their own literary styles but in and through it all, God worked supernaturally to give us the words that He wanted us to give. Okay, that's why I love the way the ESV puts it here, that it is literally breathed out by God. The word spirit, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, is actually this can be translated either spirit or breath. God is literally breathing it out through his spirit to give us these words. This should give us confidence when we read God's word and when we hear it preached. We're not we're not merely getting the opinions of man. You'll get some of that because we're imperfect preachers. Right. I'll speak for myself here. I won't speak for the others. They're imperfect, too. I'll just, you know, spoiler alert. And Ryan will be imperfect, Lord willing, when he comes in in next week to preach. Right. But at the end of the day, insofar as we are consistent with the truth of scripture, right? We can trust what we hear. 2nd Peter 1:21. Here's another verse to write down. 2nd Peter 1:21. Peter says, "For no prophecy of scripture, excuse me, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the source of Scripture's authority. Men were moved by the Holy Spirit to write these things. That means when Scripture speaks, God speaks. If you think that's an exaggeration, listen to 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Okay, There's another one to write down. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul writes to the believers there, he says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, so human messengers, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul and others were speaking these truths, but it was the word of God. Right. This is why we hold to truths like the inerrancy and, and the infallibility of Scripture. Okay, If you're not familiar with those words, inerrancy just refers to the fact that Scripture is without error. It's truthful in all that it affirms. Sometimes we look and we may find what we think to be contradictions. But in those cases, we need to realize the error is, you, it is always with us. It's always in our finite weakness, in things that we don't yet know, that we see apparent errors. Right? The word infallibility, that's another one. You'll hear the infallibility of Scripture. That refers to the fact that Scripture is incapable of erring. It's actually a stronger claim. Because it comes from God itself, who who is truthful all the time, it cannot err. It always does what it says it's going to do. Again, I love Augustine here. He, he says whenever he came upon what he thought was a contradiction, he just assumed it was due to sin or weakness in him or something he didn't yet know. That ought to be our default assumption. When we come across something that's hard, we ought to trust God in your wisdom. You, you speak the truth here. I, I'm the one who's in error. Sometimes we read truths, we, we can actually understand them, but we think, how could God say that? And it's at that point we just need to recognize, God, you're wiser than me. You know what's best. I, I'm, I'm submitting to your word here. It's hard, I don't understand it fully, but I'm trusting you here instead of my own reasoning. Okay, again, you, you can see why as Paul is preparing Timothy, To go out into the context he was going into why Timothy needed to be convinced of these things. He needed to know that what he was preaching and teaching and when he was evangelizing and discipling. That what he was telling people was actually from God and not his own ideas. And if it's from God then it comes with his authority. And it's not just Timothy or church leaders who need to hear this. Every Christian You and I need to approach God's word convinced that this is that this is actually excuse me his word and that it's true. And this this ought to affect how we approach it. Just consider here you and I have the privilege when we open this word, when we hear it preached, you and I have the privilege of hearing from the Creator of heaven and earth. The Redeemer That ought to change how we approach his word in the coming year. The Lord of everything is speaking to us in these words. We're tempted to rely on all kinds of things, even good things, programs, right, our own ideas, plans and strategies. But Paul wants to remind Timothy, you need to rely on the words that God himself has breathed out. All scripture, Paul says, is breathed out by God. That's number four, the authority of Scripture. Finally, number five, the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. Notice in the rest of, of the uh, verse 16 and the end of verse 17, he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And because that's true, he says, and it's profitable. And he says it's profitable for four different things here. Notice, for teaching, for reproof. For correction and for training in righteousness. Now this is one of those truths that's like easy to affirm. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you probably know the right answer is to say, yes, God's word is sufficient. It's authoritative. But when it comes to this truth here, right, we can say all day long, yes, I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. But this is where the rubber meets the road. Do you really believe it's sufficient for everything you need? That's the question. Okay, it's one thing to say I believe the Bible. It's another thing to actually rely on it for everything you need. And just think about this as a church: Do we really believe, as a church, that God's word is able to to build us up and mature us? Is it able to cause us to flourish as a church? Is it able to work in the lives of unbelievers and bring them to faith and then be a part of this church? Right, Even churches that claim to believe the Bible, when you go on their website and you look under their beliefs, even churches that say, we believe fully in God's word. It's really easy in practice, though, to deny that, to trust in other things, trust in. Programs or plans or strategies, all of which can be great things. We ought to plan to minister well. That's not a bad thing. Programs aren't inherently bad. But how easy is it to trust in other things to do what only God's word can do? We can even trust in the fact that somehow we can create a certain vibe or feel to our service to attract people. We're we're not immune to this as a church either. It's so tempting to feel like we can do something to bring it about. God's word is, is urging us to rely on the scriptures to do the work for God's spirit to use his word to build us up. Do we as a church really believe God's word is sufficient for this? Here in this context, Paul knows that Timothy is going to feel inadequate. He knows Timothy is going to want to shrink back in fear or turn to other things. And so he says, no, Timothy, these scriptures are breathed out by God and they're profitable for everything you're going to need in your ministry. Notice again here the four things he mentions that he says that scripture is profitable for. First thing he says, teaching. Okay, That's just instruction from God's word about what to believe and how to live. He mentions reproof. So scripture is sufficient to point out our errors. That's one of the things it does. It reproves us. It exposes wrong beliefs, wrong behaviors. He mentions correction there. It it doesn't. So it doesn't just point out our sins. It actually gets us back on the right path. If you know someone who's struggling with sin There may not be an easy Bible verse just to patch on to that sin, to change things immediately. However, God's word can correct us. It can bring us back to the right way. Do we believe that? Do we believe it's sufficient for that? Okay. the fourth thing he mentions for training and righteousness, probably just referring to training and righteous living and godliness. It's sufficient for this. You don't need tricks or formulas or techniques. The main thing you need is God's word. It's able to train us in righteous living and to mature us. Again, like Timothy here, our job is not to be creative or innovative. Primarily, it's fine to think of creative ways to get God's word into our lives. But our primary role is to hear this word, to believe it and to live accordingly. Everything Timothy needed here in this passage, Paul says, is found in Scripture. Verse 17, notice here, this is where we get this idea of sufficiency. He says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's quite a claim. The Scriptures are able to make you complete, equipped for every good work. Again, this this doesn't mean we don't need prayer This doesn't mean we don't need other believers. This is not get off by myself. It's just me and my Bible and that's all I need. In fact, Scripture itself says we need prayer and the body of Christ. But this does remind us that Scripture is sufficient for all we need for life and for godliness. Okay, so so let's think about these five things and then make a few uh, brief applications. The clarity of Scripture, the illuminating power of Scripture The primary focus of scripture, who is Christ himself, the authority of scripture that is breathed out by God and the sufficiency of scripture. It is able to to um, equip us for everything we need. Okay, and there's a lot more we could add to those five things. But based on these, I just want to make three brief final applications, three final applications. First, in terms of your personal Bible reading. Okay, again, this is a time of year where maybe we, we think about all the ways we failed over the previous year. Maybe we, we started out last year with the best of intentions and by, uh, mid-February we hit Leviticus or something and we were, you know, we, we bowed out. It was, it was difficult for us. Right? That's, that's again, that's a problem with us, not with Leviticus. Let me just put that out there. Um, but if we believe scripture is breathed out by God, if we believe that this is how we come to know Christ and grow in his likeness, then we should want to linger over the words of this book in the coming year. Whether you have a Bible reading plan to get through it in a year or not, let me encourage you, be intentional and make a plan. You'll almost never be consistent at it without some kind of plan. Okay, if it's intimidating to you to think of to be in four different places in one day, just pick one. Right. But have a plan and be intentional. Okay, if you uh, and again, if this is a struggle for you, start with five or ten minutes a day. Right. Let it grow. Okay, There's no biblical mandate for a certain time period. Start small. Be intentional. Let it grow into more. If you miss a day or two or three, you're not less of a Christian. Right. Get other Christians to encourage you and to hold you accountable in this. Right. Not every day is going to feel life changing. But as you look back over months and years, and for some of us, maybe even decades, we can see how God's word has shaped our desires. We have a increasing love for the Lord, an increasing sensitivity to sin. Right. Trust God's word to do what he says it will do. Okay, so that's one way we could respond to these truths, just in our personal Bible reading. So that's reading God's Word. Second, let's think about hearing God's Word. Okay, and by that I mean what we're doing right now. Hearing God's Word preached. Okay, maybe you've not given a lot of thought to this. I mean, after all, how hard can it be to sit in a chair and listen? Some of you think it's, it's a lot harder than you think, right? If you've been a Christian for a while, this part of the service can even seem just kind of routine. This is what we do. But if, if what our passage says is true, if God speaks to us through this word, how might that affect the way you approach a Sunday morning service? Do you come to this hour expectantly and prayerfully, eager to hear from God? This is not the time of the service where we sit back and evaluate the preacher, thankfully. right? That's not what this hour is for. This is the time where we come and we say, God, speak to us. I know this guy's fallible, this preacher up here. He's imperfect, but your word is perfect. We want to hear from you. More important than what we say in song or in prayer is what God says to us. So how are you coming to God's Word? not just in your personal Bible reading, but also as his word is preached in the next chapter? Paul's going to make a big deal out of this to Timothy. He's going to say, Timothy, you've got one job. Preach the word, even if they don't want to hear it. He says, preach it. It's our role then to come expectantly and eagerly to hear it. So let me just ask you a couple questions along those lines or just make a couple of uh, more specific applications. Do you come to this time rested, just even physically? Okay, I'm not I know we're at different uh, we're at different life stages here. Right. For some of us with small children. I mean, it's a struggle sometimes just to get everybody in the door or to uh, have everybody sleep through the night. But if at all possible. Don't let Saturday be the consistent time that you're up all night. I mean, we, we tell our kids if they have a big test the next day, hey, you got to get in bed, right? You you want to be alert and attentive. I mean, how much more as we gather to worship the risen Lord and hear his word preached? Right? So come, come rested and not just rested, but come prepared. Do you ever do you ever read the passage beforehand? Typically, we're going through a book of the Bible. I realized this morning there was no way for you to come prepared unless you were in my immediate family. Right. I had them read it this week. I always can get some feedback from them. Right. But if you know the scripture that's being preached that day, you know, Titus one is coming up. Right? Go ahead and read Titus one this week. Talk about it. If you have family devotions. Right. Go ahead and get it in people's minds and heads. Come with hard questions for Ryan, right? I didn't ask him beforehand if you could do that, but I bet he would love to know. We told him, actually, this church loves to hear God's word, and it does. That's one of the things I love about this church. So I feel like you would you would speak up if you weren't getting God's word. But come ready. Come prepared. Right? So that's just a couple things in how we hear God's word. And then third and finally... Let's let these truths about scripture affect the way we share it with others. Okay? The way we share it with others in our relationships, whether that's a a D group or whether that's just a relationship you have with another member, speak the truth of God's Word into each other's lives. Doesn't mean that all you can do is quote verses back and forth with each other when you meet. Okay? But it does mean that we trust God's Word enough to say, you know what? I want this to be a part of our conversations. I want to encourage. I want to do what, what Paul says here to, to correct, to sometimes even rebuke, right? To build each other up in the Word, right? Trust God's Word to do the work in discipling relationships, whether that's formally or informally, right? And not just among one another, but trusted in conversations with unbelievers. As you have opportunities to speak with unbelievers, bring them into contact with the scriptures. You don't you won't always have an open Bible in front of you. But as you're able, bring in the truth of God's word into that conversation. Invite them to study a book of the Bible together if they're if they're willing Say, Hey, would you study the gospel of Mark with me? You use, a, use a resource like Christianity Explained. Simply walk through God's word and trust it to do the work. A lot of times we spend a lot of time, myself included, and we think, how, how, can I, how can I persuade this person or be convincing enough or loving enough for them to believe this gospel? A lot of times it just reflects a lack of trust in God's word to do the work. Bring them into contact with the scriptures that God breathe, that are about His Son and trust His Word to do the work. The illuminating power of God's Word is greater than your ability or my ability to convince someone of our own wisdom. The illuminating power of His Word can bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. If we believe that Scripture is breathed out by God and all of these things that we've seen from this passage, then surely we'll want it to be in front and center in our evangelism, in our discipleship, in our Bible reading, and in the way that we hear it on a Sunday. Let's close in prayer, asking for God to to help us in this area. Father, we... We give you thanks, first of all, that you have spoken to us. You've chosen not to leave us in the darkness of our sin and our weakness. But you have given us the light of your word. Would you give us greater confidence in this coming year that your word is sufficient for all that we need? That it's able to make us wise unto salvation in Jesus Christ. It's able to grow us into his likeness. Help our unbelief. Give us a greater trust that in these words, your spirit is drawing us to yourself and making you known to us. We ask that you would do this for the building up of your church and for the glory of your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.